We open our Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be looking at verses 38 and 39 this morning together, particularly verse 39, uh, although they go together and there is a greater context. I'll touch on the greater context today, uh, but we'll mostly be focusing on verse 39 with a a topical sermon, and I'll explain why we're here this morning. Um, I do want to say that uh, a while ago we did go through the whole Gospel of Matthew in the evening services, so you can go back to our sermon audio page and hear this in its context with a lot more detail. Um, I'm not going to endeavor to give you all that I would in such an exegetical sermon, but I want you to know that's there, although I will be revisiting some of that work as we revisit this verse today. But here now, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 38 to 39, and recognize this is in the Sermon of the Mount. This is Jesus' very long sermon, and at the end it says they were a amazed at how he spoke it with authority. He is speaking of the, as the king of kings. He's bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth. He's bringing citizens in and he's saying this is how you will live as my citizens perfectly in heaven. But even now this is my call upon your life of how to live. And we need to recognize it's different than the world. And we'll see in its context, it's often different than a lot of the church wants us to think as they try to bring down Christ's requirements and not actually have to do that. And I think that's how we can tend to respond ourselves to this scripture. May the Lord bless our hearts to hear it and to receive it, to believe and live it. Here now, the Gospel of Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 and 39. Jesus is preaching these words. Ye have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for tooth. But I say unto you, that ye resist not evil. But whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. Let me read that once more. Ye have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for tooth. But I say unto you, that ye resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. Really? Yeah. That's the question that's been asked by one of my younger sons this week, and he had a reason for it. He's been asking a lot about, does Jesus really say we have to give our other cheek? And I can understand, and I appreciate his honesty, and we went to a family devotion with it. Uh, I'm not doing that. I don't want to do that. And I understand. I appreciate the honesty. I don't want to do it either. Do you? Do you really want to? I mean, if you and I are honest, you want to turn your other cheek, somebody hits you, and let them hit the other side? I don't think any of you or I actually plan on ever doing that. I think we resist this if we're honest with ourselves. We explain it away, although there is an exception explanation kind of a thing we'll get to. But he had it in mind for a while because of some bullying experience that he's been grappling with and that's been staying with him. And how things developed and how to handle it. Where does Jesus say this, Dad? Jesus really says you have to let him hit your other cheek? Really? Refusing it. Uh, this is this is not an expression of no faith. This is being honest, and this is how we need to approach this today. I think we have really the same attitude. We need to be honest with the Lord. Really? Help thou my unbelief. Help me to obey. 
So we revisited this scripture with family worship. And I realized as I look at the faces around the table, uh, it's worth all of us revisiting it. When we really take it to heart and know what it's saying, we really need to revisit this. It's something that we struggle with. The world teaches us to retaliate. To get revenge. Jesus teaches Christians, his citizens of the kingdom of heaven, that we are not of this world and we are to be peacemakers. And we realized, you know, often if you turn the other cheek, try to imagine this. Somebody, bam, hits you in the cheek. And the context is particularly a disrespectful action, not necessarily an attack on your life. We'll think about that disclaimer in a moment of self-defense that is biblical and allowed. But if someone were to smack you and try to humiliate you, people are watching, you retaliate, that thing's going to develop. If you were to turn the other cheek, maybe they'd hit you. I suspect they often wouldn't. I suspect they'd often be. And stop. That's the kind of influence that you and I are supposed to have in this world. Consider how it would humble the hitter if you gave them the other cheek to hit you again. Who does this? Christians. Christ. But if he did hit you, or she did hit you again on the other side, you can walk away with your head held high and a mighty witness. What do you mean, a mighty witness? I look weak letting someone hit me. Wait a minute. It takes more strength to hold back the punches when you could win the fight. Just like Jesus as they smote him in the face and beat him badly and put him up on the cross and said, if you are the son of God, rescue yourself. And he said to Pilate, I could have a legion of angels come down and wipe you out and save me. But he didn't. He held back. He restrained. And that is tremendous strength. Something we try to teach our children. And something that God is teaching his children. Personal evils and harm done to us are to be responded to with courageous, gracious, deferential good. I give that to you as the main idea of our text in its context. Personal evils and harm done to us are to be responded to with courageous, gracious, deferential good. If you allow it a allow a little bit of a, an aside uh, when we had the manse painted recently the front of the, the house or the parsonages you know the pastor's house um, they, they backed in to one of our neighbor's cars our, our neighbor from our experience they're, they're definitely not believers and yet I was so impressed with how he handled it these things happen I was just about to sell it somebody was coming tomorrow but he wasn't mad. And when I drove up one day, because I got a text about this, I wasn't there and handled it with phone calls and everything. But I saw them and I felt I should approach the wife and the, you know, I didn't want to go into the house like this. You know, what kind of witness is that? You know, so I went over to talk to them and say, hey, I'm just so sorry this happened. And, you know, if there's anything I need to do to help 
with the process. He says, ah, it's okay. You know, I mean, he was smiling. It was, it was a lovely visit. And I said to him, you know, I got to tell you, I'm so impressed with how you're handling this. I'm ashamed to say, I don't know that I would have handled it this well, you know. And uh, that example of the world, I mean, the Lord need to help us be even more so. Now, I want to review a little bit the earlier sermon I preached on this, these verses with some of the following verses when we were in the Gospel of Matthew together in an exegetical, exegetical series. And again, you can go to our sermon audio page if you want to hear it. Uh, it's greater context and detail. Uh, that sermon was on verses 38 to 42. And I gave you this as the main point of the text. Jesus corrects the scribes and Pharisees turning a law of public, public restraint into personal revenge. That's the real concern here. We're going to see some disclaimers, but when we look at verse 38, you've heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Now, sometimes Jesus says, you've heard it said, and he shares something that is, is really not the Bible. It's something that the scribes and Pharisees made up, and it's usually a loophole to get out of obeying God's law. In this case, this is God's word. And Jesus isn't contradicting it, but he's bringing it now in the kingdom, the arrival of the kingdom and his inauguration of it to its, its fullest extent. Verse 38 is what we call Lex Talionis, Lex Talionis. And what it, it's taught in Exodus 21, verse 24, Leviticus 19, 21, and 24, 20. And we'll see, Lord willing, if we get there, Deuteronomy 19, verse 21. So it's, it's a scripture. It's, it's something God commands. But the first thing we re need to recognize is how not to abuse it, not to use it wrongly. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth was public justice, but to restrain retribution. These were laws of God's society, his theocracy, and these are things that to, are to be administrated and dealt with by the government, not personal only. But the point of it was, if you knocked out a guy's tooth, or excuse me, if someone knocked out your tooth, no more than his tooth can be taken out in response to that justice. That is, you don't get to knock out his whole jaw. If you had an eye taken out in some kind of a problem, you don't get to pluck out both his eyes and make him blind for life. See, it is restitution restricting revenge and going further than it demands. The punishment needs to fit the crime, not exceed the crime, is often how God is guiding society. And see, what you and I want to do is we want to take the other eye out. We want to take all the teeth out, right? The way we tend to respond is, I'm going to knock him. He'll never think of this again. I'm going to show him, and I'm going to, I'm going to give him two, threefold what they did to me. And that's what this law is about. But they are misusing this law now. And Jesus is saying, if that's really all you want to do with it is, if you've been the victim, the punishment fits the crime, and you get to get vengeance, but you're going to start turning it into a personal thing and you're going to go deal with things personally rather than the family, the government, the church and how these things happen and who is allowed to administer justice. One thing we teach our young children is just because this was done to you doesn't mean you get to do that. And usually, oh, let me tell you, it is a lot higher than the original offense. You go to daddy and mommy and we deal with it. Or in the church, you go to the officers or in state, you go to the officers of the civil government. Those are things we're working on. It's not for private revenge, which is what it gets turned into. Jesus is correcting. 
But the law itself, the crime must be paid for, but punishment must fit the crime and not go beyond it in angry revenge, returning double, triple, quadruple. It's to control sinful fallen man's natural desire for going too far for revenge. And it's also to restrain superiors from being unjust in dealing with things. The, it's supposed to keep the violations in the courts of church and state and a protected public justice and avoid personal violence that escalates into anarchy. That's the command, but they're abusing it. This is the fifth antithesis. Verse 20 is where it started. You've heard it said, but I say. Jesus is saying, whatever you want to think, whatever they want you to think, this is what I say. I am the king of kings. This is my kingdom of heaven. Here's how you will live as my citizens. And he has quite demanding commands. But remember, he says, you're blessed. It starts with the Beatitudes by living his way. So this is the fifth antithesis. You've heard this, but you're not to be like that. You're to be the opposite. That's what he's saying here. I say unto you, verse 39, so you've heard eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, and granted in this case, this is the scripture. But you're not to make it personal, and you're not to use it for personal revenge, and it is to restrain you, not make you focus on revenge, but to restrain, restrain justice. But I say unto you, here's where we really need to go with the idea of this law. Verse 39, I say unto you that ye resist not evil. But whosoever shall smite thee on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Yes, children, Jesus does say this. Here's where he says it in his great Sermon on the Mount. When someone smacks you on one cheek, you turn the other cheek also. You don't start smacking their cheeks. And if you do start to smack one cheek, you're going to end up smacking the other cheek. And then you're going to get both cheeks smacked. And then others are going to get into it and the whole playground's a mess. Welcome to this world. The scribes and Pharisees had turned this from public justice to personal revenge, this Lex Talionis, the exact opposite of the command. Jesus is correcting it and showing it where it should lead, not even wanting revenge, wanting what is the ministry that Christians have? Second Corinthians chapter five, reconciliation. And so often that is led not with a punch, but with a hand of mercy. Just like Christ to us. A.W. Pink explains when Jesus is saying someone hits you with the right cheek, it's not like they're coming after you necessarily a big fight trying to hurt you. It's it's more of a, a you know smack on the cheek. And if you were to let them, if they most people are right handed, if they smacked you, uh, they would be backhanding you if you let them hit them again. So here's the idea. And then if you turn the other cheek, they'd, they'd probably come back. And the backhanded hit is the most offensive, of course. Most disrespect, extra contempt, more provoking of anger. Jesus says, don't take an invitation to get into a fight. Walk away. Be the better man. And I want to encourage our women to encourage your men. That's what you're looking for. That's what you respect the most. That's a real man. That's real strength. We need to be that, have that reinforced because of our natural ways that can be corrupted when we are to protect, when we are to defend. 
Jesus is not teaching against self-defense, however, against protecting yourself, against correcting. You, you don't have to lay down on the ground and let all the kids in the playground beat you down and suffocate you and kill you. You don't have to do that. And you don't have to let other people do that to you. Now, you can go to our sermons through the larger catechism, also these verses as well. Uh, but Sermon Audio, our larger catechism on thou shalt not kill. There are disclaimers. There are exceptions. There is just war to protect the nation as it relates to these different levels of, of life. Church, state, family, individual. There's a place where you are allowed to defend and protect yourself. But the goal, again, is to restrain Get out of the situation, right? A lot, of, a lot of times you'll see people teach about learning the martial arts not to go on the offense, to protect, restrain, subdue the problem, walk away. The other person walking away, right? That's kind of the idea here, rhetorically. But it isn't that you have to let somebody beat you down to death. It's more of the idea that they're smacking and insulting you. And how are you going to respond to that? You don't want it to become something where you're both on the ground Also, Christ and Paul didn't actually take it on the other cheeks, so to speak, but they questioned unjust violence against them when they were smacked in the face. John 18, 21 to 23, Acts 16, 37, and Acts 22, verse 25, for example. So remember, context is key of how we interpret and understand our scriptures. But they did not take the law into their own hands. And retaliate in kind, let alone more. They questioned it, but they didn't retaliate. And uh, what I shared with you in that sermon was this. In summary, don't live with a clenched hand. Open your hands and really live life. And that's verses 40 to 42. And that's the golden rule. Do unto others what you'd have do to you. Not just don't do what you don't want them to do. Go out of your way to do what you'd wish they'd do to them. Wouldn't you like it if you did something stupid that the person instead called on your conscience by just leaving their other cheek out there and convicting you? So you stop. The sermon message was don't live self-centered lives. And that's really what Jesus is often teaching us. But I say, Jesus takes it further, showing himself to be God in the Sermon on the Mount. I say, not the Lord says, I say, I am the Lord. And I say, he says, with all authority. Remember the end of this Sermon on the Mount, they marveled because he spoke with authority, not like men. He spoke with the authority of God, speaking to those who are being reconciled with God. Here is my call upon your life as you are a citizen of my kingdom that is in but not of this world. I say to you, this is how citizens of heaven are to live on this earth, reflecting heaven from whence he came and he returned and he will take us all to enjoy one day in the new heaven and the new earth and that he is their king. Why do you do this? Because you deny yourself, take up your cross and follow Christ as his citizen of a heavenly kingdom. Remember when we were in Philippians, Philippians 2, we are to have the mind of Christ follow his example, which was humbling himself even to the death of the cross that he did not deserve. And this is what brought us life. 
for the sake of uniting us. And then our doing that is, Paul says, for the sake of maintaining our unity. Start with your brethren, beloved, and extend it to the world, loving your neighbor as yourself. Before I continue, let me challenge you. You still don't really want to do this, do you? I can see it. I'm struggling too. Okay, Christians, may the Lord convert us and convict us further. This is how he's calling us to live. And the more we live like this, the more the world will come to Christ. Because the ways of the world that we are seeing too many saying they're Christians in our nation, especially to try to control our nation, is not turn the other cheek, but smack the other cheek and grind it into the ground. Whatever that is, it's not Christ's kingdom and we won't have his blessing on our nation. John Calvin explains this text. They thought that they did no wrong, provided they were not the first to make the attack. Okay, let me pause there for a moment. Again, our children talk like this, but we do the same, don't we? We're just more sophisticated. Well, you got to understand what they did to me first. What did you do? But you have to understand. But how does Jesus tell us to respond? Yeah, but they did it first. I wasn't looking for it. But how does Jesus tell you to respond to an invitation to a fight? John Calvin again. They thought that they did no wrong, provided they were not the first to make the attack, but only when injured returned like for like. Christ informs them on the contrary, that though judges were entrusted with the defense of the community and were invested with authority to restrain the wicked and repress their violence, yet it is the duty of every man to bear patiently the injuries which he receives. He afterwards extends, I'm still quoting Calvin, he afterwards extends the law of patience so far that we are not only to bear patiently the injuries we have received, but to prepare for bearing fresh injuries. The amount of the whole admonition is that believers should learn to forget the wrongs that have been done them. That they should not, when injured, break into hatred or ill will or wish to commit an injury on their part. But that the more the obstinacy and rage of wicked men was excited and inflamed, they should be the more fully disposed to exercise patience. And I can see it. You're struggling with this, aren't you? I know. Me too. Let us wrestle with God like Jacob all night if it takes it. That we walk away with his blessing. And have it imprinted in our thigh. Proverbs 20 verse 22. Say not thou, I will recompense evil. But wait on the Lord and he shall save thee. By the way, the Proverbs are given to us as what? Wisdom for life. Proverbs 24, verse 29. Say not, I will do to him as he hath done to me. I will render to the man according to his work. Don't say that. Jesus is just teaching his word, right? 
Paul gives the summary of this verse, I think, in Romans 12, 17 to 21. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. See also 1 Peter 3, verse 9, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 15. But that last part of the verse, I would have given to the name of this sermon, except for I've preached on that text, and it pretty much was the name of the sermon. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. And beloved, you and I need to be reminded of that and massaging it. It's not our nature. When we get smacked in the face, our instinct is to smack back. We need to pray that God helps us by his Holy Spirit to work his gracious fruit in us, that we can live this out. But the thing is, is when we do smack back, we get overcome by the evil. We become just like the evil. What are we studying Wednesday nights? Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. First, the evil of sin. Later, we'll see the evil one, Satan himself. Beloved, when you smack back, who are you serving? What did we learn Wednesday night? When you sin and you violate God's commands, these commands are clearly obvious. Not, you know, not except for considering the disclaimer of self-defense in proper places. But who are you working with when you disobey God? When you refuse to obey Christ? You are obeying Satan. He's saying, that's right. You can do whatever you want. It's your life. You don't have to do what Jesus says. Hit him back. Slap her back. Bite him back. Kick him back. Don't stop there. Kick him down. Now kick him while he's down. Now knock him out. Yes, and turn around victorious for everyone to celebrate with you. When reality, as you know, when you do these things, most people are turning their heads, shaking their heads, walking away in silence. What a mess you've made, an embarrassment you've made of yourself. But you're serving Satan when you try to overcome evil with evil. That's the problem of this world. How did Christ overcome this world? He gave himself to die to save people from it. It's the opposite of this fallen world. And what does he say in the text? Do not resist the evil. 
When they hit you, oh, it's evil. He's not pretending it isn't. Don't resist it. Don't fight back and look for revenge. Don't make it worse. Do not resist the evil. Again, Paul says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Remember also other scriptures that teach you wisdom and love overlook a multitude of sins. And I promise you, when you hold back and you pray, Holy Spirit, hold me back. I want to knock that person. And a lot of times it's one another, isn't it? Let's be honest with ourselves. We want to smack our brethren. Oh, not literally, physically, but, you know, maybe with our tongue lashing quite often. Right. And a lot of times we're actually don't even have a reason to. We're wrong. We're sinning. I promise you, as you hold back and you wait and you pray and you get past those moments, you're so glad you turn the other cheek. And if they needed to insult you again, you, you just held back from needing to retaliate with words of offense. I remember someone hurt me and they were wrong with their words, hurt me deeply. I was physically shaking from it. It wasn't the first time. And I had things that I wanted to tell that person that I knew would hurt that person deeply out of a sense of protecting myself. But the truth was revenge. And for one of the few times in my life with that person, God helped me obey Jesus better. And as I look back, I thank God for that. I thank God for that, that he helped me not to strike back, but to turn the other cheek. I didn't do it perfectly, but much better than in the past. And I was so thankful. I promise you, the Lord blesses you with rewards for these things. He says in the beginning of this Sermon on the Mount, blessed are you when these things happen. Such as when people say all kinds of wicked things against you wrongly for my sake and the gospel's sake. Same thing with the prophets. We saw that recently, right? It's like, what? The opposite of what the world thinks is what will bless you. To be peacemakers, for instance, right? Well, how far do we go with this, though? You're still asking that, aren't you? I know you are. I am. I mean, come on. Really? How far do we go with this? Where it begins. That's how far we go with it. Where it begins. Look at verse 44 with me. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Well, that would seem to be more than just those moments, but those ongoing slaps in the faces, right? How often, beloved, are you praying for them? And if not, why would you expect the attacks to go away? Or that you're responding in kind or worse would, would, would make the thing better. I know I don't pray enough for my enemies. I know I don't tend to think good and speak good of those who hurt me. I want to curse them back. I want to I pretend I want to pray for them, but I just want to have a nice little gospel prayer chain. You know what I'm talking about? How far do we go with this? Start with your heart. It all starts in the heart. What does Jesus say elsewhere in the Sermon on the Mount? Everything, including murder, comes out of your heart. And hatred is murder. What? Yeah. You don't like this? Beloved, this is 
the kingdom of heaven. You know what heaven's going to be like? No hatred. No slaps in the face. No reason to even want to think about revenge. The more the Lord helps us live this out now, the more we'll enjoy it and be a better witness of light and salt to the earth. And the more we'll enjoy the fruits of the Spirit in heaven while we're here. But of course, look to Jesus for your motivation and example. Matthew 26, 27 in its context, fulfilling Isaiah 50, verse 6, which Peter explains in 1 Peter 2, 23, who Jesus, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Beloved, let me ask you, are you better than Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, the King of kings? And he has no sin, but you and I do. I appreciate how many times the Puritans say, whatever sin you're upset about, uh, someone's doing to you. One thing you can be thankful of is all your sins that are not exposed. And that God should be punishing you for. Take it. Be glad he doesn't pour it out on you. Remember the recent sermon on Luke chapter 9 verse 23. Deny yourself daily. And sadly some person went away saying. But don't I have a right to disagree? Don't I right? Beloved, don't leave this sermon like that. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Because you just go away fighting. You just go away getting more and more revenge, being more and more bitter, and having more and more of the death of this world in your life. Deny yourself daily. Turn the other cheek. As one example and manifestation of that. Now, thankfully, in our more modern and civil situations, for the most part, at least where we live, I don't think this specific situation applies to most of us most of the time. Although perhaps it is more in the schoolyard, if you think in, in a sense, the impetus of revisiting this text. I mean, I don't know about you. Do you go through most of your days and weeks in the marketplace and at work and uh, having to duck a lot? Uh, do you have a lot of people hitting you in the face regularly? I don't think most of us face those experiences, right? So maybe we can just pretend it doesn't apply to us. Or does it? There's a moral principle in our heart of hearts that goes even deeper in every circumstance of our lives. No raising of your hand in anger towards another one on the highway. No, give him your lane. If you raise your hand, wish him a blessing. I know if you're like me. Really? Yeah, let's start there. Notice how your blood pressure is better the rest of your drive and you don't miss your exit as a result, eh? I'm always preaching to myself, beloved. <laughs> no raising of certain fingers. No raising of your voice to someone yelling at you. 
in an unnecessary way, remembering Proverbs 15, verse 1, and how often when you do strike the other cheek with your words, so to speak, you wish you would have remembered Proverbs 15, verse 1. Angry words stir up anger. A soft answer turneth away wrath. Turn away. Walk away. Show yourself a man. Quit yourself like a man and a woman of God. Walk away. Take another insult. Don't give one in return. Don't take an invitation to fight verbally or how we tend to follow these things up. I think we probably especially need to say don't touch your keyboard on your computer or your smartphone. Don't take to social media because you don't know how to be social and work with people in front of your faces, especially your own brethren. Don't hate love. Don't strike the other cheek. Caress it with your words and your disposition including in response to the opposite. Resist the temptation to get even or fume and taunt back, not turning your cheek in a way that wouldn't do it. Like, this is not what he's saying. This is not what Jesus is saying. And this is how you turn. That's not what he means by turning the other cheek. That's not, that's, that's not doing that. That's setting up a fight, right? Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead and hit me again. See what happens. Right? That's not what he's saying. Resist that temptation to hit back with quenched fist and coiled arms or forked tongues. But humbly turn yourself to be exposed to the more danger of ridicule and embarrassment and shame while looking down and away and offering it limply. And let them see you bleeding on the other side and what they've done to you. With self-sacrifice like Jesus for the sake of being a peacemaker. And beloved, I've brought this up many times, but I, I think it does deserve an insert here. Watch out for sarcasm. And so often we pretend it's chummy and warm, and it isn't. What is the root word of sarcasm? I always remember, you've heard me say it before, my professor, not a Christian in college in our poetry class, the sarcasm was thick and it grieved her. And she told us, do you know what the words, the two root words of sarcasm are in Greek? To cut the flesh. And don't kid yourself and pretend you're doing something else. You're not. Humble yourself, personal humiliation, not inciting that of others. Don't hold on to it, but let go. How much modern civil disobedience movements have changed our society for the better to become less evil and more just in protecting our weakest and most vulnerable members. And whatever anybody wants to insert foolishly about such movements, they changed our society 
for the needs of our vulnerable members. By taking it, not just on the cheek, but taking the teeth of German shepherds, not fighting back no matter what. Taking the hose, taking the beatings, taking the prison, taking death. Because nothing else was going to change it. Got to the point where too many people see these things nationally and say, this is crazy. What are these people doing? Those who are the ones striking. Seek to throw cold water on the anger of aggressors and seek to make good out of their evil, just like Joseph with his brothers and Jesus to make us his brothers to save many lives. What was Joseph's brothers afraid of? He's going to get vengeance on us now. Dad is dead. He said, no, God used this. You meant it for evil. God used it for good and the saving of many lives. I'm going to focus on doing the good designed out of this. I'm not going to let your concerns or whatever my pain might be distract me from doing the best out of this moment. Instead of I hate you too. I love you. Can you imagine somebody smacks you physically or metaphorically and your response is, I love you. That'll break them down more than anything else. Instead of go to hell, you are the devil. Say, you need heaven. You need Jesus. Just like me, may I tell you about him and how he took it on the chin and then took up the cross to offer peace with God and eternal life in heaven where there will be no fighting or revenge, but full reconciliation and perfection of peace that is not of this world. Can I get a witness? May God give us a witness. May God give you and I a witness. Well, I, as I was writing this message, I have written these words. Our son began to get this and own this in our family worship. And that, that was taking last night. And uh, even was repeating and rehearsing it to make it his own. And expressing how incredible it was and how incredible this was to do. Uh, already this morning, I mentioned, don't forget to listen to the sermon. And there's a little bit of, little bit of uh, I don't know. And the truth is, that's you and I, even to this very moment, isn't it? May we express how incredible this is. And may we own it. May all of us own it and rehearse it. May God's grace help us to live out his grace and mercy in an incredible testimony. Beloved, may you, may I, turn the other cheek. And I just give you those words as the message for you today. As you see in the bulletin, this is the sermon point for you. Exactly what Jesus says, because you and I have to actually keep thinking, visualizing physically, but I would argue probably more than anything, figuratively, metaphorically, and so often in life. Turn the other cheek. Catch yourself every time you feel that hurt. So often not by a hand physically. Turn the other cheek. Humble yourself. Turn the other cheek.
May this be your mantra this week. Practice, internalize it, confess to Jesus. I'm wrestling with this. I have to tell you, my heart says, I don't want to do this. I'm not going to let somebody hit me. I'm not going to let, I'm going to get, I'm not going to protect myself. And if I need to, I'm going to get revenge. Jesus says, turn the other cheek. You say, turn the other cheek. I'm a child of God. I'm a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. I want to see him transform this world. I want to see him fill people into his church. This is how it happens, beloved. How many testimonies have we heard through church history? Those suffering even to the point of martyrdom, praying for those, even killing them just as Christ on the cross. And those people became converted. They were so blown away by it. Beloved, for Christ and his kingdom and for your own good, Turn the other cheek. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we remember your bloody cheek. The pulling on your beard. They're smacking your face. They're spearing you. They're beating you with a whip. And you could have destroyed them all. And yet on the cross you said, forgive them for they know not what they do. Lord, by your forgiveness and mercy offered to us because we hit you. We slapped you in your face with our sins. We still do. And you keep giving us mercy. Let us look to you as our example and motivation and as our means. We confess we cannot do this in ourselves. But in Christ, by the work of the Holy Spirit, we can. Oh, Lord, work out your grace and your fruit in us. And show your power not only to deliver but to direct us. To live out your will and to show we are peacemakers and we are pointing to the Prince of Peace. And after he comes back to consummate your kingdom, it will be a glorious eternal peace. And let us draw attention to that with how we live that out. Remembering we have a peace that is not of this world. We pray that you would indeed bless and grant us not to worry, but to pray. Bless us to focus not on the bad, but on the good. And trust that we will have the peace of God in our hearts and the God of peace in our midst. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, who has spoken this to us most directly by his own mouth while on earth.